Welcome to Urban Forum Northwest with your host, Eddie Rye Jr. Uh, my very first guest is uh, Congressman Emmanuel Cleaver II out of uh, most of the Kansas City area. As a matter of fact, the Super Bowl championship uh, team's uh, stadium is in his district. Uh, but he was battling late last night on behalf of the people, uh, getting something to the Senate. And it looks like we got some double crossers over there when it comes down to uh, 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 what's happening right there. So, Congressman Cleaver, why don't you uh, walk us through uh, what the House did and what was preserved and what wasn't? Well, <clears throat> let me let me first of all, good to be with you uh, again. Uh, uh, and I appreciate what you do for the uh, Northwest uh, in terms of presenting information. Uh, over uh, over on the House side and, and this whole process, I think it's important for people to understand that this was not a um, budget uh, debate or, uh, or or even any kind of um, uh, deal that both sides were involved with. We, the Democrats are in the minority, and so what happened was uh, the the majority leader, Kevin McCarthy from uh, from uh, California, Bakersfield uh, area of California, uh, decided that he was going to use the debt limit uh, to get some things that he had promised his extremely uh, right-wing component of, of the Republican conference in the House of Representatives. I need to say, too, that the debt limit, and some of your listeners may not understand, and, and I, which is understandable because it, it, it is a bit complicated. Uh, the United States spends money, and, and because of our credit rating, we can spend money we don't have, just like the average family. Uh, if you're broke, but you have some good credit, you can use your American Express and buy things that you, couldn't, you didn't have the money to, to purchase at that time. And that's exactly what the United States does. Uh, we uh, we spend money that that uh, you know we don't have, and so at the end of the the budget year, uh, we we go through a, a a little process. Have all these years uh, where the the House just uh, approves the, the the raising of the debt ceiling, ceiling, which also means we pay off our debts. And so it's important to to, to understand that. Um, it, 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 that this was not something new. We were trying to. We were not buying anything new for the federal government. We were not spending any new dollars. This only had to do with bills we had already accumulated and and put it in a in a brown paper bag in the kitchen. And at the end of the year, we knew we were going to have to pay it. And so, uh, since the uh, in the history of the nation uh, and in, in the history of, the, uh, of our home, we always pay our bills because if we don't. We're going to get, have our credit downgraded. The same thing happens to the country. And when if the people who are listening say, "Well, that's not doesn't how does that impact me?" Well, if the if the credit is downgraded for the United States, uh, understand that uh, the the markets are going to collapse because right now uh, we're the most uh, we're, we're the we're the financial leader of the planet. Uh, the, the 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 dollar, which is what we use in the United States, is the international currency. It is what everybody uses. So whatever happens economically in the United States is going to automatically impact the rest of the world. So hopefully that, that gives people a little of a view of, of what we're talking about here. Uh, so what Kevin McCarthy did, which which we did not do, uh, I will make it's important for me to say here, I voted for 
the raising of the of the debt limit three times under 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 uh, Donald Trump three times uh, as did everybody else. I mean, it was it was not even I can't even remember those days because it was so automatic. It was perfunctory, and so uh, what 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 Kevin McCarthy did uh, was to say, okay, uh, we're not going to do that anymore. We're not we're going to mess up the credit of the United States. Unless you cut welfare, cut uh, programs like Medicare, Medicaid, uh, TANF, uh, SNAP, which is uh, uh, food stamps, uh, and then also we want you to cut back on the federal budget. Uh, I mean, all kinds of things that would, would in the main, hurt poor people. And so um, uh, our reaction was, uh, we're not we're not going to cut all these programs. We're not going to hurt. Uh, 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 people like this, and and so that led up to the uh, tumult that happened last night. Uh, there's there's some other little subterranean things that happened, like how, how I mean the negotiations that took place. Uh, but essentially, what most of us decided was that uh, we were not going to uh, destroy the the economy of the United States overnight. Everybody's 401ks would, would, would go down automatically and deeply and painfully. Uh, and um, so we, 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 we did uh, negotiate. So, but our job, we, we weren't saying this publicly, our job was to stop stuff. We, we, had, we, were, we were going to stop them from damaging Medicare, stop them from dam damaging Medicaid, prevent them from cutting SNAP, prevent them from uh, wrecking uh, TANF. And we were able to do that. All those things we protected, and uh, and so there's a an element in the in the Republican caucus who, unless they can have poor people uh, screaming and crying and uh, and 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 broke someplace, they didn't want to have anything to do uh, with uh, supporting the raising of the debt limit, and they have nothing to do with each other. Congress, I want to ask you: <clears throat> they also are uh, mandating work requirements. Yes. And uh, I suggested to you and other folks that uh, if uh, uh, Facebook, uh, Meta, uh, Amazon, uh, and Microsoft, Google, uh, and most government agencies have people working from home. As a matter of fact, yesterday at the Amazon headquarters in Seattle, uh, the workers uh, walked out concerned about the, uh, the uh, environment. Uh, Amazon owns a stadium that's called Climate Pledge. And uh, they also protested having to come to the office. They want to work, continue to work from home. And a lot of people are. Now, what's good for those folks should also be good for the people who are on these safety net programs. Uh, uh, why should a person that is hardly managing it all of a sudden have to spend money for daycare, which you can't find, and it's very expensive? Then you also got to talk about transportation costs. And you're talking about a lot of other things, while the people who are making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year as, as well as other uh, uh, people from the government, the government programs uh, and work for government agencies, they can work from home. Wouldn't that just be a fair thing to do to have you go and mandate to work, have them work from home? The the, the key word you, you, you used then was fair. And uh, that, that that's a word that has been banned in, in uh, Washington circles uh, probably uh, since uh, 1865. But here's, here's uh, the way I see that issue, uh, and, I, and and Democrats uh, united behind it and and, and said we, we are not we're not going to going to do it. We we were able to keep them from cutting 
uh, down to about two percent of the people people uh, that we we couldn't we could not uh, uh, protect. We did protect one group uh, to make sure that they didn't they were not uh, cut. Uh, but let me let me just say, uh, I served on the banking committee. It's now called financial services, and I was there, as you may recall, uh, in the, during the 2008 economic collapse when uh, the banks and the housing markets collapsed almost overnight, uh, sent our nation into the deepest recession we've ever had. Uh, it was a, almost a depression we were having, uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of five or six thousand home foreclosures every day across the country. And uh, so in, in an attempt to stop the bleeding, because many of the banks had been buying uh, securitized um, bonds on uh, from, from Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, the, the housing agencies, the, the agencies that provide money to banks so that banks can let, make loans to, to all of us for homes. Uh, they had all been hurt and, and had been uh, ripped off. And so they came to town, to, to, to Washington. Some of them flew in in their own personal jets. They left Washington with, with, with barrels of money to stop the, the bleeding and, and to, to keep their banks from folding. Billions and billions and billions of dollars. I can't remember how many billions of dollars. I think 800 billion comes to mind. Um, and they didn't have to show anybody anything. They didn't have to prove that they were going to work. They didn't have to prove that, uh, that, that, you know, that uh, they had a husband uh, living in the house or a wife living in the house. None of that. They just got the money and left. And the legislation that, we, that was used was two pages, two pages. And uh, that, that was brought to us by Hank Paulson, the chair, who was the secretary of, of, uh, of the Treasury for George Bush. Uh, and so, but when you're dealing with poor people, we had a we had a one a one hundred page uh, piece of legislation that we, that we that was before us one hundred pages, uh, and poor people had to prove uh, going to work. Uh, and now we were we were able to get some exemptions from uh, people who, from kids young people who were in foster homes. Uh, we we were that they uh, are not operating under the same rules. Uh, and and also we uh, we got exemptions for uh, some of the elderly, uh, but for the most part they lost that battle, and that was a battle that 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 frankly um, we had a lot of Democrats who came together on that one and said no this, this is not going to happen. So we we cut it dramatically so that most most of the people maybe none of the people even listening to this broadcast if, if even if it were broadcast over the country would be impacted by it. The Republicans have exaggerated what they, the, all the benefits they received, but uh, that's fine as long as we know what what really happened. Well, one last question, uh, Congressman. Uh, right now, it seems like uh, 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 Senator Sinema and Joe Manchin are, are going to oppose what the House has delivered to them, and along with uh, Tester out of uh, Montana. Uh, I bet they all voted for the 1.75 trillion that went to the wealthiest of these during the Trump administration. And I don't, re I don't recall any requirements that they had to uh, uh, go to work or do anything to to receive None. all that money. None. They had, they had nothing. Uh, look, I, I think Senator Tester is going to be all right in the, when when the when the roll call comes in the Senate tomorrow. 
uh, cinema and mansion that they are. Uh, it's another whole case, and and it's it's. I mean, it drives me crazy. Um, and at some point, I'll, I'll maybe, you know, give you the one hundred percent how I feel and how many of the other Democrats feel in Washington. Uh, Do you think that Susan Collins or um, Murkowski out of Alaska would cross over and vote for it? You know, that, that's what we're counting on uh, is uh, some of the so-called moderate Republicans. Some of them uh, weren't moderate when it came to voting on Supreme Court justice, but that's another whole issue. But the, the, the thing is that we're counting on some of the, the moderates coming over because Manchin uh, is actually upset because uh, we did not make it possible for uh, some people in West uh, West Virginia uh, to continue to pollute the skies with, with uh, soot uh, from coal. So that's, 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 that's what's not going to be talked about on the floor, but I can tell you that's exactly where Manchin is. Well, Congressman, I really want to congratulate you uh, for the work and that, that you're doing and the uh, advocacy that you present. And uh, uh, Angela's on an airplane now. I want everybody to know when Congressman Emanuel Cleaver was chair of the Congressional Black Caucus, he hired my daughter, Angela T. Ryan, to be the executive director and general counsel. And he had a real infamous moment in 2010 when he was walking up the stairs of the Capitol and a Tea Party guy spit on him. And uh, he's, you know, a reverend, nonviolent. But his father said it would have been a different story with him. <laughs> he said, "He said, oh, no, it would have been a different story. He said, I believe in the Lord, but I also don't believe in what's going on. So anyway, uh, Congressman, thank you very much. And uh, we'll be talking with you soon. And keep up the good work. Really appreciate it. Right. Good to be with you. Thank All you right, for what you're doing. Okay, sir. Thank you very much. Okay, Bob uh, Bob Armstead has joined us. Like, uh Frank Boykin, I guess, is on the phone. Frank, are you on the phone? I am. How you doing, Eddie? Okay, I have uh, 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 Congressman Cleaver just went off. Bob Armstead is on on the Zoom call, as is uh, my guest a little later in the program, because I got to tell you all about the songs of Black folk, uh, 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 music of resistance and hope that's going to be uh, on uh, June 18th, Father's Day at the Paramount Theater. So uh, Ramon will tell you more about that a little later in the program. But Frank, a uh, lot of things happening. We were expecting to see uh, the Undersecretary of Commerce and the first director of the Minority Business Development Agency. Uh, but there are some, I guess the stuff in Washington, D.C. messed up those plans. So uh, Frank Boykin is the Washington State Director for the Minority Business Development Agency, which is a federal agency under, under the United States Department of Commerce. Uh, he's responsible for Washington State. So Frank, I'd like to have you share with our listeners a little bit about how they can come to you and get some money or get some contracts or whatever they need to make sure they're successful. I certainly appreciate that. And, uh, and thank you again for sharing about uh, our undersecretary, uh, Don Cravens, not being able to join us here as he not so surprisingly is back in Washington, DC doing good work. Everybody is aware of the uh, national headlines and what it is that Congress is doing and how that is impacting uh, so many people so many lives and so many, if you will, ways forward, not just in D.C., obviously, but throughout the nation. And so as soon as that is addressed, we are really hopeful that we'll have him in short order join us back in Washington state as had been planned. 
thank you so much for the opportunity to uh, share with people about the Washington Minority Business Development Agency, which does span uh, the state of Washington in terms of its business center and in terms of its impact. Uh, as uh, Eddie had alluded to, that we are a federal government agency, and in that regard, we are deeply invested in uh, the expectation of minority businesses and their enterprises. As a matter of fact, this agency is solely dedicated to the support of minority business enterprises. And so I'm really excited about what that work means and how it does um, impact Washington and its entire state uh, of uh, residents and uh, community. The, the mission uh, I want to be really clear about with Washington Business Center uh, is really impactful. So if I were to underscore that vision being the expectation that economic prosperity for all American businesses being at the forefront of what we do, the mission, uh, as I had begun to call out, really is to serve the whole state as it does establish minority business enterprises and specifically make it a point to underscore how those growth uh, of each of those entities are, are, are feathered out. So specifically as it relates to public and private partnerships, um, MBDA is on the forefront of that as it impacts certainly um, the expectation of um, policy and ultimately uh, research. All of those things together is what MBDA is invested in and, and the advocacy of each of those areas is really how we are able to move the needle here in Washington State at a minimum. We have so much uh, work to do, but the privilege of doing this work uh, in and of itself is its own reward and how we're able to see the returns on minority businesses in particular is one way to underscore for me uh, why this work is, is so important. So the things that we most uh, excitedly and most importantly position is the expectation of capital, access uh, to capital, access uh, to contracts and access to established networks with the expectation of ensuring that scalability is available uh, to uh, communities, as well as the uh, underscoring of expandability for the right businesses. Now, the, the interesting thing about uh, MBDA, the Minority Business Development Agency that I've been able to see, is we are so committed to doing work that is impactful that ultimately talks about removing or reducing uh, barriers, barriers to uh, those capital, attractive capital investments, barriers to what it would be in terms of uh, contracts that are made available, particularly through uh, public uh, portals and public pathways with public funding. And the reason why I want to underscore all three of those things is because they have to work together. Uh, in order for us to ensure that we are identifying communities, in my view, that are in the most need, uh, communities in the most need from the perspective of they've been the least uh, able to move uh, through this ecosystem uh, in a way that suggests that where our intentions are, which is ensuring resources are provided for upward movement and entrepreneurship and increasing uh, wealth uh, building pathways for these businesses as well as the enhancement of the quality of life for those who see entrepreneur as entrepreneurship specifically as a way forward. So with MBDA in particular, uh, I am hopeful that people just recognize that 
what we have right now in our moment of time across the nation, what we have in our moment of time specifically in this ecosystem is unprecedented, unprecedented resources that are available, particularly to small minority businesses, particularly the communities that have been uh, positioned as uh, more challenged in terms of a way forward, in terms of a way of receiving those benefits. And if we've got absolutely this moment in time where it's unprecedented resources, what we should be seeing is at the very least movement, impacts, and benefits that are suggesting that that moment in time is not only understood, but being realized. I can tell you based upon- Let me ask you a quick, quick question, because uh, uh, I just uh, I got an email, email forwarded from Elton Mason. Bob got the same email. And uh, folks are still talking about what I-200 presents. I-200 uh, said it would they would prohibit uh, race and gender discrimination. But Governor Gary Locke's executive order, I mean, governor's directive issued in December of 1998, uh, uh, Directive 98-01, is what killed affirmative action. And so we still have these agencies talking about what they can't do. And I'm telling you, they're not doing because the numbers indicate that. Uh, we have a report from Office of uh, MOMWB, the Office of Minority Women Business Enterprise, where African-Americans on the last report did 0.18%. We then have another report from the Department of Enterprise Services, where I don't know what period it was, Bob, I think it was through 20, the first few months of 2022. They were not near the state's procurement agency. They were doing less than 1% with all minorities uh, combined. So, uh, so I'm just trying to figure out what can I mean, what can uh, MBDA do to help uh, us in that in that quagmire that we find ourselves in? Like, like, I'm so glad you asked the question because I think first of all, what we can do is more. I think what we should do is more, and I think it first starts with exactly understanding that framework and understanding that um, perspective. I share that there is unprecedented resources available. I also share with you that it has to work together. The public funding, the pathways that are being provided through public agencies, and the expectation of the impact that we're intentional about making. What we can clearly see is through further disaggregation of data, that's exactly what you alluded to. We, we, are, not, we are not hitting the mark. Certainly we're not making the impact that we'd like to see, and we've just got to do more. What MBDA is committed to doing is making sure that as we have created an opportunity for these resources to be positioned in a way that, first, they're available. Secondly, making sure that as we are clearly not getting the outcomes that we want. Yeah. We, and, we, and Frank, we, you know, we're, we we're going to be working with you. I, I wanted Bob, he's have some folks that can be, really help you. And that's uh, the membership and the leadership of the Washington State Chapter of National Association of Minority Contractors. And they have a uh, membership meeting today uh, at, uh, at five o'clock. So uh, we're going to go ahead and stretch this out a little bit and let Bob in. And Frank, uh, you know, you're always welcome. So just hang on for one minute. I know, I don't know what you, I know your schedule is packed up. You let me know that earlier this morning. So if you can hang on for a few minutes, I'd appreciate it. Is that possible? I absolutely can. Okay. Bet. 
Okay, Bob, why don't you chime in and I have a few remarks about the conversation we're having. Okay, and, and thank you, Eddie, and, and thank you, Frank. Uh, really appreciate your commitment to the community and your, your work with MBDA. Uh, in order to comply with, with time constraints and to really get to the point, uh, we are fortunate paper-wise to have a commitment from the Biden-Harris administration as relates to the uh, Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, that 15% of all of the funding from that act is to go to uh, minority businesses and minority communities. Uh, we are further fortunate in that the White House uh, established memorandums of understandings, MOU, with the Minority Business Development Agency, the Small Business Administration, and the Department of Transportation. Uh, so my comments and my questions are directly related to that. Uh, I have in front of me a document, uh, the one-year anniversary of Biden's infrastructure law. Here's what Washington State received for transportation. And we all understand that transportation is only receiving 60% of the Infrastructure Act funding. But anyway, that dollar amount is $3.7 billion for the first year of the Infrastructure Act, which ended in November uh, 22. Uh, my question uh, to you, and we want to help and assist you with this, uh, have there been established uh, policies and procedures that track and document the fact that 15% of that 3.7 billion that has already been dispersed to Washington State? Uh, and if you round off 15% of that, it's approximately uh, 550 plus million dollars has been directed to minority businesses and minority business communities? I can tell you that that's not something that I can speak to. I can tell you that because those numbers are really clear, that I'm not seeing that translate to the businesses that I know need the most, nor do I see it translate to the impact that I would think we'd be able to make with unprecedented resources being made available and the intentionality of these agencies and specifically uh, MBDA, making sure that we've had these opportunities. I haven't seen it translate yet, and I'm gonna emphasize yet, but I do believe that there is, as I said before, more that we not could do, must do. I believe it's a decision that separates us from being able to see the type of gains and to see the type of reality that we've alluded to that are in these numbers, and I'm very much so looking forward to working with anyone and everyone to ensure that we get there. Okay, I need we're gonna take a quick break. I need you to hold on. We have a couple of minutes after the break because I want Bob to be able to invite folks to the NAMC membership meeting. So Eric, let's take the break. At Sound Transit, we not only connect more people to more places, we're making life better for all. We're connecting diverse neighborhoods to an entire region of opportunities like jobs and school. If you have an ORCA card, you can just tap and go. We have reduced fares for seniors and riders with disabilities. 
For adults with lower incomes, check out Orca Lift and pay just a dollar for your ride. To plan your trip or to learn more, visit us at soundtransit.org. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity and Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community, and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion, and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.seataxhops.com. Get inspired every hour right here on Alternative Talk 1150. You can hear her on June 18th at the Paramount because Malone Bryant Braxton, artistic director conductor, will be talking about it a little later in the program. But I want to thank the City of Sales Purchasing and Instruction Services Department, Sound Transit's Office of Civil Rights, Equity and Inclusion, the Port of Seattle's Diversity Contracting Office, the SeaTac Bar Group, LLC, the known as Africa Lounge, the Mountain Room Bar on Concourse A at SeaTac. So we have a couple of minutes. Uh, Bob and uh, uh, the National Association of Murray Contractors have a membership meeting. I want to give Bob a couple of minutes to let people know who's on the agenda. Uh, yes, and thank you, uh, Eddie. Uh, the National Association of Minority Contractors, which is the oldest uh, trade association for minorities in the construction industry, uh, we are the Washington State chapter of that national organization with history, thanks to uh, Eddie and others in the Seattle area. Uh, that history predate the actual formation of NAMAC in 1969. We have monthly uh, membership meetings where we invite our membership, uh, people from the community, uh, minority and other contractors, prime contractors, agencies, and others uh, to come together to have an opportunity to talk about uh, not only issues, but opportunities that are uh, available in Washington State. Uh, this evening on our agenda, we are fortunate to have Frank Boykin, uh, who just finished speaking um, with Eddie. We are working closely with MBDA because, as Frank stated, this is a one-in-a-lifetime opportunity through the Infrastructure Act uh, for us to try to become back to what we were 23 years ago uh, with the unfortunate misinterpretation of I-200. Uh, the meeting starts at 5 o'clock. It's from 5 to 6.30. Uh, you can get to the meeting by going to NAMC wa.com. Uh, when you get to that site, uh, there's a heading uh, entitled Contact Us. Uh, if you hit that, it will take you to the other prompts that will actually that takes you to the membership. The prompt to get to the meeting is at the top of the website. Mm -hmm. All you have to do is to go to that prompt and it will take you directly to the meeting. The other speaker this evening is Bill Frare, uh, 
from the Department of Enterprise Services, who will talk about recent changes to the uh, Small Business, Small Works Act. I hope that our change means that they change the numbers in terms of our participation. So anyway, I guess they've heard enough from us already. But uh, Minister Nate Miles, is Minister Nate Miles on yet? Anyway, uh, we're going to go back to you. Frank, are you still here? I am. Okay, hold on for a minute. I want to let everybody know that uh, Minister Nate Miles was going to invite folks uh, to Seattle Mount Zion Baptist Church, uh, an invitation to attend a meet and greet with the candidate to become the senior pastor of the church. That'll be on Saturday at 10 o'clock. Uh, and then at uh, the 10 o'clock a.m. service, uh, the sermon will be preached and and uh, uh, the vote will be taken on whether or not this pastor will be uh, accepted or whether the pastor won't accept Mount Zion. So we'll find out. So if Minister Nate Miles come in, we'll talk. But uh, since we have a little bit more time, uh, Bob, in terms of those numbers, and uh, I know that on the federal dollars, MVDA and Frank says there's a lot of resources, and that's what we're going to need because after 23 years of no affirmative action, a lot of uh, family-owned businesses went under. Uh, we had lost four black contractors on one job, the Seattle Tunnel Partners Project, uh, uh, Seattle Tunnel Partners. Um, here's Nate Miles calling on the phone. <laughs> anyway, uh, the Seattle Tunnel Partners Project. So uh, what are we going to do to ensure that the federal dollars uh, are, are, are uh, make sure they're, they're not under I-200 or uh, uh, Governor's Directive 98-01 and their participation for us? Well, the Infrastructure Act is a federal program. Absolutely. So when we talk about the $3.7 billion that have already been uh, allocated and dispersed to Washington State through November uh, of 2022, uh, we're talking about federal dollars. So 15% of that $3.7 billion, according to the uh, law signed by President Biden is to go to minority businesses and the minority community. So there are no state rules, laws, regulations that are impacted in any way uh, by the Infrastructure Act funding. So uh, the feds uh, in, in the email that I saw from Elton Mason, he said and uh, I, I watched out was saying that it had no effect on federal dollars. But once again, we have a situation with the DBE program where uh, white females are counted as minorities. And as uh, we know, the lion's share of that money, where it goes. So uh, what can we do to ensure there'll be some participation? Because, you know, we're talking about reparations and stuff, and it's against the law to have affirmative action. So uh, as far as reparations go, we can start right now by having a set-aside program for black businesses, have a department in every federal agency uh, that will do nothing but look after the needs of uh, African descendants of the United States enslaved, the people who built this joint for free, as my daughter says. Uh, you know, if we're serious about reparations, we also got to talk about land. Every time there was atrocity and a black person, black people were killed, they were ran off their land. Okay, Nate Miles has joined us, so we're going to have him for a couple of minutes. Uh, Minister Nate Miles. Uh, is Minister Nate Miles on the line? Yes. Hey, Eddie, how are you? I'm doing just fine, sir. Go right ahead. Good. Hey, we just wanted to let everybody know, uh, and happily so, that uh, we have uh, selected a candidate.
for the uh, permanent uh, job as pastor of Mount Zion, and he will be coming to do his trial sermon on the 11th at 10 o'clock at Mount Zion, and we are inviting the public to come out and take a listen to him on the uh, 11th at 10 o'clock. Um, and for those uh, who would like to come out and take a listen, please do so. On Saturday, um, um, we have an opportunity for those who would like to come and meet him from the congregation. They will get an opportunity to do so as well. Um, but um, but that will be on Saturday afternoon. But for those uh, congregation members that would like to do that, they can do that on Saturday, uh, but uh, the 10th. But on Sunday the 11th is when they will be able to hear the message from the candidate. And then um, after that, there will be a vote for the people who uh, are members only will get a chance to vote. But the people in the city who want to get a chance to hear the new pastor, they get a chance to do that at 10 o'clock on Sunday. And we just want to encourage everybody because we know they've been wondering who's going to be the new pastor. This will be a candidate. This will be the candidate that we have selected and get a chance to come out and hear what they have to say and get a chance to see the new candidate on uh, Sunday the 11th. And we just want to invite the public out to come and see and to tell all of the members of Mount Zion to let them know, um, as we wanted to do, that this person will be there on the uh, 11th of June. Well, I want to thank Rhonda Staten for hooking all this up. Uh, she's really done a good job. I tried to get her on the air, but I think she wasn't ready to do it yet. She had another meeting. I'm going to get her eventually. She does a lot of work. Exactly. Okay, so the vote exactly. won't happen until after the the, the uh, candidate speaks, right? That's right. That's right. Well, see, I didn't know it was a male. I've been telling people I didn't know he or she, uh, you know, who the candidate was. Rhonda was real coy about that. She didn't let me know that either. So right. uh, after the person speaks, then there will be a vote. And it's not. And it's not this Sunday. It's the following Sunday, the 11th. Yeah, June 11th, right? Yeah, June 11th. That's, the, that's what I have in the emails that went out to everybody, and that is also uh, what is on uh, posted on Facebook. Right. Okay, uh, Minister Nate. Thank you very much. People have been uh, notified of what to expect, and uh, will that uh, broadcast the sermon? Will that be live streamed? Uh, that I don't know Mount Zion generally is, so I'm assuming it will be that day. Because you might have a lot of members who are sick and shut in. That that list is real long of our senior members who are sick and shut in. It'd be good for them to be able to see the individual as well. Right. That I don't know, but hopefully yeah. it will be. But if you can make it, please come out and uh, and take a listen to the candidate that day. Okay, well, Nate, that make Miles, Minister Nate Miles, thank you very much. We certainly appreciate what you do in the community. Eddie, we thank you and appreciate your time for letting us come on today. All righty, now. All righty. Okay, Frank and Bob, we have about two minutes left, so I just want to know if either one of you guys have a closing statement or information. I know we got the NAMC membership meeting at 5 today, and Bob, they have to go to namcwa.com. And uh, the invite is right at the top. Why don't you share that? Uh, that's correct. Uh, National Social Minority Contractors June monthly meeting is this evening from 5 to 6.30. 
Uh, access to the meeting is through our website, which is namcwa.com. Uh, when you get to the website, the access site to the meeting is at the top, and all you have to do is to uh, to go to that and get access to the meeting. And we look forward and hope that you're there. Okay, uh, Mr. Frank Boykin, I am the director for the state of Washington. Thank you so much, Eddie. I certainly appreciate any time they get a chance to share on your show. Really appreciate the opportunity also to tell folks about the good news that's happening with Washington State's Minority Business Development um, Agency. Also wanted to underscore that MBDA serves the whole state of Washington, particularly helping to establish minority business enterprises that are owned by African-American groups, Hispanic groups, Asian and Pacific Islanders, Native Americans, Asian Indian Americans, Hasidic Jewish Americans. It does support for the entire state. And the final good news that I want to make sure happens as a result of having a chance to share today is I'm announcing Washington's MBDA's Achieve More grant. That awardee, awardees will be notified today. Awardees will be notified today. You can go to our website. That website is Washington, excuse me, it's mbdawashington.com. Again, the website is mbdawashington.com. And our Facebook okay. is Washington okay. MBDA, Washington MBDA. We're really excited okay. about that $200,000 that is being disseminated among 40, again, 40 different minority communities, 40 different um, okay. Okay, we're we're out of time, brother Frank. We have to do that one next week. We can see who because we want to see who received the money. But anyway, we're gonna take this break and come back with the star of the show, and that's Ramon Brian Braxton, the artistic director and conductor for uh, songs of black folk, uh, music of uh, resistance and hope. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the diversity of contracting director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.seataxshops.com. At Sound Transit, we not only give people more reliable ways to get around, we're connecting diverse neighborhoods to an entire system of opportunities like jobs, school, friends and family, and to the airport. Our commitment to economic development provides opportunities for women and people of color to compete fairly for sound transit contracts. All of this helps our regional workforce grow and thrive. Go to soundtransit.org and search DBE to learn more. Going our own way every day. Alternative Talk 1150. All right, that's a way to bring the artistic director and conductor of Songs of Black Folk onto the program. That's Ramon Bryant Braxton. So welcome, sir. You will be seeing him over the next couple of weeks because we just made an agreement that he will be interviewing some of the artists on this program for the June 18th, Father's Day, Songs of Black Folk, 
uh, music of resistance and hope. So uh, sure. welcome again for your annual visit, sir. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Glad to be back. I appreciate okay. it, sir. Why don't you sure. share with our listeners exactly what I know you're doing the work now. You guys are rehearsing and all this kind sure. of stuff. Last sure. year, you flew somebody in from Paris to sing. <laughs> That's right. notes, too. Right. What's her name? Uh, that was Bridget Brazil, but she, you know, Bridget she Brazil, right? Well, lived she, here yeah. for a long time, so she's a yeah. local favorite. So yeah, 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 it was worth the trip. <laughs> yeah, she certainly was. I tell, I was there. I certainly did. We appreciate that because my wife is a singer too. So you okay, know, okay, nice. That's how, that's how she caught me. Ah, okay, okay. <laughs> Introduce me to her. Maybe we can uh, feature her. <laughs> well, well, she does. She's a, a member of the Saint Therese Choir. Okay. So, all, right. Yeah, so, all right. Okay. All okay right. Let us know. Yeah, when we don't have Bridget Brazil this year, but we have another young lady named Jacqueline Eccles, a rising uh, opera singer who comes from a very, you know, black church background. So she'll give you the best of both worlds, both classically and, you know, just the spirit of the way she sings. It, it, it'll feel a little more homey to some of our people, if you will. So, but we have a very diverse uh, body of music lined up. Um, we have like a subcategory, if you will, uh, or theme, if you will, running through the program of royalty and divinity um, tied in with our independence theme, along with the resistance and hope. So the music runs the gamut from uh, traditional African music, void of any Western influence, all the way to, for the most part, the music is wrapped in a symphonic context. So a very Western influenced uh, approach to music, but still our music uh, coming back to us from the stage. Um, our own music is Black Americans, but wrapped in a symphonic context. So it's a it'll be a different sonic experience, if you will, for for the audience. If you don't have much exposure to classical music and being in a room with a full symphony orchestra and rhythm section and diverse group of singers from classical music to gospel music to R&B to hip hop to spoken word. So we're trying to put it all on the same stage to create a uh, experience that will uh, not only celebrate Juneteenth, but also just it's June. This is the best month of the year. It's my birthday, but it's also Black Music Month. So, you know, it's the perfect time of year to celebrate uh, our American, authentic, our authentic and Black American culture. Well, I agree with you about June being the best month. My birthday yes. is tomorrow. Ah, look at that. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I knew you were a good man. Yeah, yeah. But I had uh, the family was Memorial Day and we just celebrated there. I was able to see all my relatives. For that day. But Ramon, why don't you just take a couple of minutes and let people know about who Ramon Bryant Braxton is. Uh, you've done so many different things. Why don't you share that with our listeners? Sure. Well, I'm a native of the area. I grew up in Tacoma, Washington, um, product of Tacoma Public Schools. And then I went to live with my uncle when I was a teenager, uh, Leslie Braxton, pastor of New Beginnings uh, here in Kent. Um, but at that time, at that time, he lived in uh, Buffalo, New York. He pastored a church there. So I went there to stay with him. It was supposed to be just for a summer. And I ended up living there for three years. Um, he just happened to hire a young music director at the time who was a HBCU graduate and who was very well gifted and diverse. Uh, and he really kind of poured into me to prepare me for a, a collegiate experience uh, studying music. So I left there and went to Morehouse College, stayed in Atlanta five years, um, had a scholarship from the King family while I was a student at Morehouse. Um, so I got to work with uh, Ms. Coretta Scott King um, 
and she took a personal interest in my you know education um as well as dr martin luther king's sister christine king ferris um as i played it uh one of my jobs while i was a student at morehouse i played at ebenezer baptist church which was the home church of the king family uh, and you know their mother a lot of people don't know that mama king was uh, shot and killed the uh, first sunday in june 1974 at the Oregon uh, by a deranged man shot her from the balcony as she was playing the prelude. So they set up a scholarship in her honor. And um, the King family was nice enough to give me that scholarship in their mother's name, my junior and my senior year as a student at Morehouse. So after I left Morehouse, I uh, went up to Baltimore and served as the uh, graduate assistant to Nathan Carter, who's one of the great American black choral conductors at the time. He's gone on to glory now, but uh, he instilled a lot in me. Um, and I stayed in Baltimore for a number of years before I relocated down to DC. And I worked at Howard University, serving in the music department at Duke Ellington School of the Arts, the Performing Arts High School there. And Metropolitan Baptist Church in DC, which has a very well-known national renowned uh, reputation for their music ministry, where I was blessed to serve under Richard Smallwood, who's one of my mentors, a great gospel legend. Um, and I served at Capitol Hill Seventh-day Adventist Church. Uh, so I was pretty busy in New York, I mean, in DC. And then from there, I went to New York City, where I served as the director of music at the Abyssinian Baptist Church in Harlem, one of the oldest yes, Black Baptist churches in the country. So now I'm here putting this program together and trying to, you know, help my uncle's church musically and take care of my grandmother, uh, who's declining up a, in a hospital downtown Seattle. So it's, I got a full plate. <laughs> yeah, no, you do. And you really have a one heck of a resume, too. And I mean, some of the renowned churches and, and absolutely, uh, absolutely. Uh, artists that you just mentioned, I mean, man. So you can see why. So um, now, do you think that uh, Pastor Braxton will let you go anytime soon? Uh, I don't know if let is really the key word here, but uh, <laughs> I'm going to hang out as long as I can. <laughs> I'll hang out as long as the weather stays good. How about that? <laughs> okay, well. Uh, give me a few more months. <laughs> yeah, we're going to pray that the weather stays good. I know he will be praying too. So in terms of uh, at. uh New Beginnings, why don't you just give us a shout out because uh, June 18th, that's one day, it's going to be a big performance, but mm -hmm. New Beginnings meet every Sunday. Yes, sir. So, uh, and tell us a little bit about, about uh, what you're doing at New Beginnings, and I know that uh, Uncle Nathaniel Patterson is... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure a lot of people know Nathaniel Patterson. He's also my uh, great uncle, um, mm -hmm. local legend. He's been on the music scene here many, many years. Um, so he serves there, but I'm helping uh, New Beginnings uh, with their music ministry. My uncle has a lot of young talent on his music staff. Uh, Jeanne Perez, very good. Chandler Williams. Singer. Chandler Williams, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So I'm trying to help, you know, cultivate them, help them grow a little bit and their understanding of church music, not only for their generation, but for, you know, a few generations that precede them that are still around who have much wider, have a much wider canon of music in there in their repertoire than they do. So trying to help them, you know, be able to speak to people of all generations in the church. Um, and just really just helping fine tune the music ministry as much as I can while I'm here. Give them a little more direction. Well, I have to say, I can't sing. I was 13 and uh, the choir director for the youth at Miles Land uh, <laughs> wanted me to become the first Millie Vanilli. So they ended up starting a basketball team. So I could oh, make wow. an okay. exodus. I, I, can't, okay. I still can't hit a note. But uh, 
Uh, some of the artists that you're going to have, uh, why don't you mention on the 18th? So, of course, we have local uh, artist James Connor, who's from Seattle, and then Crystal Aiken, gospel artist who won Sunday's Best uh, from Tacoma. We'll be, featuring, we'll be featuring both of them on the uh, concert. And then several artists who are coming from out of town. Solomon Howard, of course, will be back again. I think he kind of uh, enshrined himself as a, you know, as, <laughs> as a very essential part of this experience he certainly did (laughs) he did yes he did so uh he will be back again i'm glad to say i just finished arranging a uh, medley of spirituals for him that he'll sing so i'm excited about teaching him that uh soon uh we also have uh who else is coming um a young lady who I was filling in at the last minute we're gonna do a tribute to Tina Turner I just threw that in at the last oh, minute I felt like I would be remiss if I didn't honor Tina yeah, Turner great. so I'm gonna bring up one of my good friends also from Morgan State um Andrea Albert and I think she's gonna help us out with that Tina Turner tribute um and my so, local favorite uh Josephine Howell is on the yes yes there Josephine hey, Howell will be on program I mentioned Jeanne Perez will be singing uh, and I mentioned the young lady, uh, Jacqueline Eccles, who we have coming. Uh, I think she's from Detroit originally. So, okay, we're, we're going to see you the next two weeks, right? Yes, With sir. Yes, sir. Okay, so uh, we're going to check out. I want to give Bob this minute. The NAMC membership meeting is this afternoon at 5 o'clock. You okay. can go to namcwad.com and uh, get that access. So, Bob, I want to thank you and Frank today for all you guys are doing. And hopefully we'll get some resolution about uh, what's going on. We're still waiting to hear from Merrick Garland about the discrimination against Black folks in the state. So uh, we haven't heard nothing on that yet. But I guess uh, the members of, of uh, the Black Hawks were so busy trying to get this piece of legislation passed that it kind of fell by the wayside. So, hey, thank you very much. And uh, Bob, I'll be a little late because we got a MLK Gandhi Empowerment board meeting at five o'clock because it was the last half an hour. So I will be joining in. So Ramon, uh, artistic director and conductor for Songs of Black Folks. Thank you very much. Y'all will see in the next couple of weeks with some of that outstanding talent they have. So thank you. Oh, Mr. Rye, may I remind the people they can buy their tickets for Songs of Black Folk at www.songsofblackfolk.org or at the Ticketmaster website. And we'll we'll announce that every week until the song. Okay, thank y'all. And thank I want you. to once again thank uh, uh, and want to remind people that uh, there is a concert coming up. Uh, sounds, uh, uh, Vanessa Wells Bruce was on last week. She's the director of the Sounds of the Northwest. Uh, they will be having their concert at Langston Hughes Saturday, June 3rd at 7 p.m. And once again, I want to thank my people like the City of Seattle's Purchase Construction Services Department, Sound Transit's Office of Civil Rights, Equity, and Inclusion, the Port of Seattle's Diversity Contracting Office and SeaTac Bar Group, LLC. Thank you very much, Eric, and thank you guys for being here today.